Imagine you've just given birth to your second child only to be diagnosed with an incurable condition. I mean, what goes through your mind? I just can't imagine. This is the story of our guest today, Rochelle Flanagan, based in Ireland, whose personal experience of living with Parkinson's disease and passion to meet the unmet needs of other women living with the condition led her to launch her own business, My Moves Matter. No, it's World Parkinson's Day at the time of publishing this, and each year, 11th of April, it's all about raising awareness of Parkinson's disease. And you may think of celebrities like uh, my childhood hero, giving something away here, Michael J. Fox or Muhammad Ali, but millions worldwide are living with this chronic and currently incurable condition. Welcome to Tribe Talks here at The Entrepreneur's Doctor, where I'm here to help you take a solution to a problem that you've seen in the health sector in, in your specific health journey and create a thriving online business, but without risking your family, financial or job security. Because if you're like me, you're busy, you've got a family, you've got a job and you either are new to business or new to the health sector and you just don't know where to start. But at the end of the day, irrespective of your professional background, we're all after the same thing. You know, we want to help others at scale. We want to scale our impact, but we also want to have a little bit of the freedom to do what we're passionate about, what we love, and also have a little bit of fun being creative. So if you are new here, welcome. Check out the link uh, below, both for information about my guest and to learn more about My Moves Matter, but also for free access to not only a four-day, but it's going to be a five-day summit with new content coming out soon all about health, innovation, and entrepreneurship, together with Backstage Pass to join us here on the weekly Tribe Talks, and you can pose your questions and maybe have free coaching too. And a quick disclaimer, as always, if we do speak about any um, medical issues or professional issues, treat them as information education only. Um, obviously, please do check with your licensed doctor if there are any concerns that you might have and check out the disclaimer below. So Rochelle, welcome. Hi, thanks very much for having me. Good to be here. Absolute pleasure. And we literally just connected for the first time just a moment ago, uh, but literally in the last 24 hours where I posted something on LinkedIn and a friend of yours shared it with you and you're like okay I'm, I'm all in because I need to share my story and I perfect timing I mean first of all uh, it's a it's a shame that you've had to go through what you're doing but I love the fact that you're taking this energy and this uh, desire to help other people who have these unmet needs that you came across as a patient um, but also you know, actually doing it right now when it's, you know, Parkinson's world's Parkinson's day. So really it's fantastic. And I just want to focus first of all on what is the problem that you are solving with My Moves Matter? Well, uh, what happened originally was that when I was uh, diagnosed, I was 47. So I was still, um, I was pre-menopausal, uh, so still menstruating. And, um, you know, I know this is maybe not a topic you were expecting to hear straight off the bat, but uh, basically, it had a big impact on my Parkinson's symptoms, um, my menstrual cycle. So I noticed that the week before my menstrual bleed that my Parkinson's symptoms would get a lot worse. 
And, you know, through my, you know, kind of Parkinson's advocacy network, I noticed that the same thing was happening to a lot of other uh, women with young onset Parkinson's. And I thought, oh, that's kind of strange. Um, and I did a, a survey I put together myself, of, uh, which was completed by 209 women with Parkinson's, of which 147 were still menstruating. And 84% of them said that their Parkinson's symptoms got worse the week before their menstrual bleed. And 49% um, said that they got worse in the third week of the cycle. So I'm a dietitian by background. I'm, you know, just a scientist as well. So my sort of, you know, research sort of ears perked up and I thought, okay, there's got to be something. Why is this happening? And when I looked into the research, I didn't realize that uh, dropping estrogen can affect your dopamine levels. Um, so obviously when you've got Parkinson's, that has a bigger impact because we start off with low levels of dopamine to start with. Um, so that really was the problem because basically up to two weeks out of every month, uh, a woman with Parkinson's is quite disabled in terms of their symptoms uh, being worse. Uh, and I don't know if people understand what, what the symptoms are, but basically with Parkinson's, uh, particularly with young people who are still trying to work, there's the tremor, which is the one that people sort of know, you know well, but there's also a thing called dystonia, which is kind of um, cramping of the hands. They literally can sort of curl. Uh, there's also kind of um, rigidity, which is my symptom where basically my hand just stops working. So literally I'll be typing and it'll just stop. My hand will stop typing. Um, so it'd be pretty debilitating if you're a young mum with kids and, you know, trying to unbutton, you know, clothes or chop food or, you know, type if you're trying to do, you know, do a presentation, no matter, you know, all sorts of things. Um, and also for women, um, there, there's... Uh, research to show that women suffer from different symptoms to men. And one of the big ones for women are mental health, things like anxiety and depression, which are what we call prodromal symptoms of Parkinson's. So I know one woman, for example, who said that she literally locks herself in the bathroom for the week before her period because she is just so distraught with anxiety. Um, so I just kind of thought this has to stop. You know, there's like, you know, we need to find a solution. So um, that's when I decided I'm going to do something about this. <laughs> And I'm glad you did. So I just want to walk through, I mean, feel free to elaborate on that experience of, um, you know, going through pregnancy, not being able to actually have any tests done to confirm whether you indeed have Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. uh, feel free to elaborate on that. But I want to fo go forward in time a little bit to that moment where you're contemplating business because mm -hmm. you are a health professional, you're a dietitian. Mm -hmm. But what yeah. made you pivot from, look, I could do this in my day job versus let me go and create a business around it well i suppose there's two things um i i attended a thing called the world parkinson's congress which is the biggest congress in the world where health professionals clinicians uh, come together researchers scientists but also most importantly people with parkinson's and the caregivers get to attend this congress and i was really kind of worried going myself because i was just there's there was this kind of stigma around parkinson's a brain condition you know you're going to be less than your, you know, I was fearful of actually seeing my progression by meeting other people with the condition. But I was blown away when I got there. I, I shouldn't worry because no matter where anyone is with this condition, at that Congress, they're all trying to find ways to improve their lives living with Parkinson's. And they're all trying to find ways to find things to help slow progression or, or cure the, the, the disease. Um, and when I was there, I kind of really saw that there was an issue around awareness around young onset Parkinson's. So everyone sort of thinks of Parkinson's being an older man uh, stooped over the shake. 
But the reality is that actually 40% of the people living with Parkinson's are women. And also 20% of people, of the 10 million people who live with Parkinson's in the world are under the age of 60. So I really kind of, I, I came away from that Congress thinking, you know, I need to, I kind of hit it for two years and I thought I'm going to stop hiding it because as a dietitian, I had done a lot of advocacy. I have celiac disease as well for other health conditions. And I thought, why am I hiding this? You know, and you won't change things if you hide it. Um, so that was kind of, I suppose, part of the journey. And, and then as a woman seeing my needs not being met and many others, and I thought I can do it on a clinic level, but actually the, it needs to get out on a bigger platform to actually you know, make a difference on a, on a wider level. So that's why I thought, and I suppose then the second thing was I took part, I was asked to be a patient champion at a, a digital patient-centered hackathon run by uh, the day one Swiss innovation um, in uh, Switzerland, which if anyone's interested is they're going to be running another one in November. Um, and that was just an amazing experience because I basically was asked to come along with a problem that I wanted tech to solve. And I basically brought to them, I said, look, I think I would like to develop an application that tracks women's uh, Parkinson's symptoms across the menstrual cycle. So over a two weeks sort of sprint, basically had all these people, you know, with no agendas coming together to try and solve, you know, my problem as well as many other people who were taking part in the hackathon. Um, and I got really sort of caught up in it, the, the, the sort of energy and, you know, just people being really willing to, to take part. And as it turned out, there was a competition, which I didn't really even realize there was, but I ended up being a project lead and we had, you know, um, Slack channels and there was a Miro board and we had people from Canada and England and France and, you know, all sorts of places taking part. Um, and basically we put together a prototype and I, I did the, the presentation and the pitch and we won hackathon. I was absolutely gobsmacked that we did, but it, it suddenly thought, okay, maybe this is a sign that I really need to take this and, and really, you know, they believe in me and they believe in what my vision is. So I felt it was beholden on me to do something about it. So I took it uh, and I've been running with it since January of this year. Um, so that's kind of really <laughs> So Rochelle, just um, this is your opportunity now. You know, you're speaking to hopefully someone out there who might need what you have to offer or indeed be interested in supporting you and partnering with you. So high level, uh, you know, what would be a good description of the solution that you're offering? Um, and maybe if you wish to elaborate on any help you're looking for. Yeah, well, um, we've done a lot of sort of uh, customer validation um, because obviously we were looking at, um, you know, tracking Parkinson's symptoms around the menstrual cycle, but also we'd like to look at the um, different hormonal stages like perimenopause and menopause uh, like as well. But also through the um, interviews I've done with women of different ages and stages of life and condition, uh, we've identified that there's a number of other things that, uh, you know, women are, are missing out on. And, and one is, is, is um, a safe community of which to be able to share, you know, concerns and, and share information. Because one thing we know with COVID is that during the uh, pandemic, people with Parkinson's, their, their symptoms did get worse and their progress, they did progress. Um, so there's a big issue with isolation. It's really important that we are connected. Um, and I think another, you know, area is lack of access to services um, for, for people with Parkinson's in general, but because access to neurologists and neurology care is horrendous around the world. Um, but also, you know, access to 
um, evidence-based information that they're finding it hard to, to get access to. So there's a number of arms to it. So I suppose really what I would like to do is, is develop a kind of a digital ecosystem that you know, helps to support the unmet needs of women with Parkinson's. Uh, but ultimately, my vision is that it'll actually you know, help to support research, to bring research to women, to bring women to research in Parkinson's, because it's only by taking part in research that we'll ultimately find better treatments and possibly slow progression, not only for women, but also for men. Um, so that's kind of the bigger vision. And I suppose in terms of the support for that is, I mean, it needs, you know, it's all nice in theory, but these things need money to actually be built. I the cost a fortune, you know. Um, so I'd be looking for funding the second half of this year to actually have someone come by, you know, support us to actually really be able to make the vision happen. Um, you know, so so that's you know really where where I'm at at this moment. Rochelle, I'd just love to share a, a quick tip with you just in response to that, but also to others who might be interested in um, the early stages of especially their, their business. Um, and just for you to know, all of this is going to be going into this new book and video series uh, covering the seven secrets to launching a, a viable and thriving health business. And Rochelle is one of almost 40 now uh, contributors to this upcoming uh, book. Uh, we were literally just recording her section on that, which gives you tips from her personal experience in the first few months of this uh, business that she's launching. But I see a few friends who are on the call here now, but also for you, you know, there's two things. Number one, when it comes to the early stage, definitely research is something that you have to keep in mind. And I know, Rochelle, you're looking for research partners to help you not only um, show evidence of what you're doing works, but as you said, you, you, one of your value propositions is research. You might have something to offer to academia or indeed industry that's off developing new drugs, new medical devices, indeed any new digital health service perhaps to women living with uh, Parkinson's disease. So I think the number one tip there that I would share, but I wanna share one more is really be clear on who is the customer and it seems like you might have quite a few. You've got the women that have this, you've got research, you've got others, but indeed in those early days, the investors are your customer too, because you're trying to sell an idea to them. So it's really focusing on what is the business model to allow you to target all of these. Are you going to prioritize maybe one of those customer segments initially before you go on to the rest? And I'll cover all of these as part of the, the book series, but but really just one more tip that is, is critical. And I was gonna save this to for later for whoever gets the book, but I'll just put a teaser out there. I think it's important. Everyone in the world of health entrepreneurship, in my mind is going the wrong way, in all honesty. Uh, most people are taking this traditional approach that just like in research in academia, you've got an idea, you submit an application for grant, uh, funding in entrepreneurship, you get an idea and you pitch it to investors who are not your customers, who are not the users of your end product. They may have expertise in this area, but they are not the end result. And we're out forever on this um, hamster wheel, if I may say a better word for it, you know, hamster wheel, trying to please the wrong person, the wrong group of people. And we're ever on this, like, you know, getting pre-seed, seed, series funding, uh, and then it comes to market and no one buys it, no one uses it, uh, no one gets results. So you could get to sales faster and demonstrate 
traction faster and then get a higher valuation and better investors if you bring that relationship with your target audience, whoever that may be, sooner rather than later, even before your technology and digital health solution has been created. And no, I'm not meaning uh, one of these you know, weird and wonderful things we've heard in the news with uh, startups that completely cheat everyone and they're all over the press, but actually something ethically correct and viable, which is understand your customers' needs, work with them and offer them solutions now uh, that not only help them you know, feel like they can trust you and like you, uh, but also they give you some insights into their world and their needs so that when you do offer your digital health solution, they're ready to take it up. And actually it's being co-created in a way and it's being designed to really address their needs. So what is it that you could actually offer them? And I'll just give you one word and then come to the, see the book uh, for later. You could offer them some, from some of your expertise, some of your consulting expertise, some of your knowledge, some of your educational expertise, which doesn't cost you a dime to create an offer to them, but you're actually really listening to their needs and supporting them, tackling their problems, and then developing your value proposition based off all of this learning. And I'll end with this. Most of the time we spend months, hopefully, doing market research when indeed we could be getting paid to do that market research. It was excellent. Um, just so you know, I find it uh, uh, very uh, motivating and inspiring when I hear anybody that's facing their personal challenge and stepping forward. And that's one thing that Beirut and the entire community he's created everybody here is facing some form of challenge and is uh, stepping forward. So first step, two thumbs up for you. Thank you. Uh, the, um, so I'm a type one diabetic, I live with diabetes and uh, I've created uh, Uncommon Diabetic Solutions and Beirut in this community have been great help in, in my journey. And it's not easy, anything we wanna do that way. So, but I know most of the people here, we have pillars that we run our programs on what would be your pillars and where do you, uh, do you find that nutrition and um, simply lifestyle medicine or is probably the best way to categorize it, but what do you build the foundation basically of your uh, program? Well, we're sort of at early stages in, in terms of developing, but um, I have a zillion ideas around the, the program, the, the arms being a, a dietitian and uh, and also, um, you know, with all the research I've done around lifestyle for Parkinson's uh, and other neurological conditions, but, um, you know, exercise, to be honest, is the only thing at the moment that the research shows to potentially slow progression. There's no drug that can do it, but exercise is showing signals that it possibly can slow progression. Um, diet is a big, uh, you know, pillar in terms of lifestyle, as you know, for diabetes and, and all chronic diseases, to be honest. Um, so that's a big passion of mine. And from the research I've done around Parkinson's, in fact, there's no condition that I have actually come across that would really benefit more than from uh, nutrition and Parkinson's. Um, it has a huge impact because of the whole brain, gut brain connection as well. Um, so uh, and there's a lot of people suffering with neurological conditions out there who, who don't actually realize how important you know, diet is. Um, so diet and then to be honest the other thing would be mental health 
is a really important one, uh, as we know, for in, in relation to every chronic disease. But in Parkinson's, um, actually, mental health conditions can be what they call prodromal, so basically signs. So people can be suffering from depression, anxiety for years, and they could have actually been su suffering from Parkinson's, obviously in association with other prodromal symptoms. But there's a lack of awareness around that. So definitely sort of the mental health side would be really important. Um, and I suppose in terms of this, you know, because we're on medication like you are with type 1 diabetes, you know, medication management is really important, understanding it, um, tracking it, timing it. Uh, and I think the other pillar would be you know, self-management. You know, it's like when I use food diaries with, with, you know, clients and I say, look, it's like a bank balance. If you're not looking at what's going in and out of the books, you can't balance it. And it's the same with regard to, you know, your habits if you're not actually looking at what you're doing and what's going on in your life and uh it's hard to make the changes you know so behavior change you know you probably know this with type one and most people know what healthy eating is but that's not usually what the problem is it's what's going on in people's lives and what barriers are getting in the way and whether they're ready to make change you know so there's all these elements that would be a big part of my platform but um you know that's in time to come. <laughs> so I hope that answers your, your question. Yeah, Heath, was there a follow-up to that before I ask Michelle's final question? Well, um, first I want to thank you because you really affirmed with in, un, indirectly uh, everything that I've based mine on. You basically went through all the four pillars, right? Mine is mindset and intention, uh, nutrition, exercise, and then the last one, which you called self-management, is really recovery and reflection, right? When you're looking at are you getting enough sleep, rest, those without stress, you know, all those other types of things uh, in it. So first, thanks for that. Two, um, with Parkinson as dementia, Alzheimer's, et cetera, insulin resistance is a major factor to anything to do with brain, nervous system, et cetera. Um, have you found anything in your research that is linking basically us together? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there is. There's a lot of... Um you know, it, it, research around neurological conditions and uh, insulin resistance and also um, what they call uh, brain energy reserve. So basically that people with neurological conditions and the research in Parkinson's shows they actually, in some cases, can't use the glucose. Um, so there, there definitely is something there. And, and there is research going on with regard to a thing called GLP-1, which is used for diabetes. Uh, but they're actually researching that. And I think it's kind of like a phase three trials um, because they were showing signals at phase one and phase two of benefits. So without a shadow of a doubt, there is something there that, you know, I think there are answers in in that, that side uh, of brain and uh, energy metabolism and insulin and glucose. And, you know, obviously with a lot of neurological conditions, weight being heavy, not exercising, they're all linked. But obviously, it's the metabolism that is impacting things like, you know, glucose metabolism. So, yeah, I think they're, uh, you know, intricately linked. Um, yeah. So just on that, uh, to follow up, Rochelle, with the final question. So, by the way, if you are watching and listening, listening to this after the fact, either on the podcast or indeed as part of the summit, because I'm going to use this conversation as part of the summit too. And you've got questions for either me or Rochelle, do post them there and I'll make sure Rochelle loves me to bits for sharing those questions with her. But, but one specific one that um, uh, our other friend here, Patricia has for you, 
is a follow-up to what Heath was just asking. So Patricia, do you want to pose that briefly so that uh, we can Yes, you'd mentioned the fact that with the Parkinson's there were some pre-dromals oftentimes with like anxiety, depression. Mm -hmm. Are you doing anything to address that in the pre-dromal pre state that will help minimize your Parkinson's? Um, in, in, there's a lot of research going on in that area. I'm focusing on, you know, people who have Parkinson's um, because we're not getting the care that we need, particularly for women and to be honest, for men, but I'm focusing on, on women. Um, but there is definitely a, a gap there. And there are a number of companies that are looking at that, uh, particularly in the research sphere, because obviously the market is huge there in terms of, you know, the prodromal, especially say in the likes of Alzheimer's, you know, which is, which interestingly enough for the women in the audience, 70% of people with Alzheimer's are women. Uh, so there's a big link of uh, hormones and, and uh, you know, and, and what's, what is the impact in terms of postmenopausally, the drop in estrogen, uh, you know, triggering um, Alzheimer's, for example. But um, there are many markers, prodromal, so people, uh, with Parkinson's suffer from constipation up to 30 years prior to diagnosis. Um, there's a thing called rapid eye movement disorder, uh, which is, is kind of pretty much very close to guarantee that you're going to develop Parkinson's if you have this RPG. Um, and also there is, um, I'm just wondering the other thing that is very much linked, uh, anxiety I mentioned before is linked as well. Uh, so there's a number of markers out there and, and they're trying to find these kind of um, and they're biomarkers, but there are digital biomarkers that, you know, potentially could identify um, people with Parkinson's. I actually picked up my own Parkinson's through a thing called micrographia, which is small handwriting. And when I was working in my dietetic clinic, someone came back to me after a five year hiatus and I took out the record card to write in it. And when I wrote in it, my handwriting was minuscule in comparison to what had been five years. And I thought, that's a bit odd. But what was really strange is I couldn't make the handwriting any bigger. I thought, okay, there's something really odd about that. So, you know, I definitely think there's something in using that as a way of being able to identify, you know, people's handwriting um, and also things like typing, you know, that they're, they're, they're typing. And so the, there's, there is research looking into all those areas, but uh, not coming fast enough if you ask me. <laughs> Rochelle, look, I just want to thank you so much for your time today and, and being so generous, uh, even before we went live with Tribe Talks uh, today. Um, for, for anyone watching and listening, you want to get in touch with Rochelle, her details are below and learn more about My Moves Matter. I think you're doing tremendous work that is targeting an unmet need, as you said, with, uh, with, with women, especially uh, getting diagnosed earlier. But I think just to share one last thing, Rochelle, for you and maybe others that might be interested in, um, I think the business model that you might be going down the path of is a platform. And I think you might've mentioned that previously. So do check out the talk by uh, Ariane Nashat. She's a palliative care physician based in California. And she's on day three or four of the summit. I can't remember, but she talks about her startup, Pality. So alongside her clinical practice, she set up this uh, platform to help people going through end of life and and you know terminal illness and it's fantastic and it sounds so similar to what you're doing with parkinson's disease so so do check that out really appreciate you thank you thanks for having me